screams, whatever we hear, we just laugh and say, thank you for life happening next door. And now, Father, for us, open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may truly know, know, we may know SCO, know the truth that sets us free. And that's our heart here tonight. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. We're going to continue and pick up where we left off last week. We were in, if you have your purple book, Lesson 4, and it's in Chapter 11, Lesson 4. So as you know, we're at the end of the study. We're going to shift gears in September. We're going to take a couple of weeks break, retool, regroup, and, uh, and then we're going to come back. And Bill Loveless, Uncle Bill, one of my favorite humans, is going to be with us on September 18th, which is a Wednesday night. We'll kick off our fall fall, technically fall, fallish uh, uh, study as we go through one of his studies. It's his newest study on love, and I'm telling you, it's powerful. So it's a lot of information from a book by Mike Mason, who he has had the pleasure of getting to know, and Mike has released all his material to Bill to turn it into a curriculum, and I'm telling you, it will challenge you to the core about what it means to love people. And when we hear that, we go, that's great, but what about loving difficult people? Ooh, ouch. I don't know if I want to come to that study or not. So, but come. It's going to be amazing. I've been reading through the material. He just finished the book, and I've been reading through the curriculum. It is going to be so good. So we'll do that through this fall season up until Advent and that time of year. So come on Wednesday the 18th. I'll continue to remind you of that, and we'll hit the ground running with that. A couple of other things, or one other thing, really. On Sunday... Second service, that's the 1045 service. We are anticipating and expecting an overflow crowd in the second service. Uh, last week we were upwards around 450 people. So already our, set, our fall crowds coming back from summer, people are settling in. So it's happening a little early, which is exciting. So we're looking at, with Max being here and us getting the word out a little bit, we could have a very large crowd. I know we have a lot of guests coming in from other places. I've got friends coming in from Tennessee, Lubbock, Arkansas, you know, various places that are coming to celebrate with us and, uh, and hang out with Max. So if we could, some of you men that are here, if you could be prepared to help us we're going to have chairs stacked in the back. Uh, we'll have Don, Russ, others uh, kind of directing traffic as needed, but we may need to add some chairs at the last minute. So if you would just be ready and uh, maybe kind of be keeping your eyes out for Don and, and Russ and the guys over there, and they can direct traffic. We have a bunch stacked right behind that curtain, so they're real easy to pull out. And uh, we can stack these out very quickly. It's kind of exciting when you got to bring in chairs. Amen? It's awesome. So anyway, if you would, just help us with that. Be prepared. That would be really helpful to us. Uh, and we'll have some others involved as well. So we just want to uh, get this group involved in that and get our hands on it. So, all right. You have your book. You have your purple book with you. If not, it's going to be on the screen. You can look up there. The reason I'm up here instead of on the floor is to... We're, we're experimenting with our camera angle and stuff. We've got our new camera, and so we're trying to figure it all out. So we're learning. It's one of those learning curves things. Is it better on the floor, better up here, lighting's better? So anyway, be patient with us as we figure it out. So we're learning. All right, number one, when the disciples stepped out in faith and boldly preached the gospel, what happened? Now, Acts 2.43 and 3.16 says this, and look at the scripture with me. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. You know, we, 
the word awesome is a big word in our vocabulary today. It's awesome. That's just awesome. But the actual meaning of the word is actually an expression of awe. You're like, you're wowed. It's, it's a sense of wonder. It's that, oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. I mean, it's just, it's an expression uh, that we have in our culture. I actually love the word. And not just as a cultural expression, but it really is. God is awesome in the truest sense of the word. Amen? Amen, family? He is, he is awesome in the truest sense of the word, so he inspires awe. But look what they were filled with when this happened. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So in this case, the apostles, which were the twelve, well, we lost one and we added one back, so it's still twelve. But they were carrying an authority that had been conferred upon them, remember, when Jesus, in the Great Commission, or what we call the apostolic or missional mandate, said, go therefore and make disciples. Remember, what was the therefore, therefore? It was therefore to confer authority. And as Jesus did this, they now had this a power, this ability, and they did something with that power and with that ability. We're going to look and talk about what they actually did. So everyone is filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. It's interesting today in church world, church life, particularly in America, not so much in other places, but in America we've become very skeptical. We're skeptical of authority. We're skeptical of government. We're skeptical of structured churches, of pastors, because so, there's been so many failures along the way that now everybody's suspect. That's just a hazard of what I do. It's just part of the. It's part of it. And if you can't take it, it's it's a lot of heat. Then you might not want to hang out in that kitchen. But I know what I'm called to do, so I'll just plow on through this stuff. But that's just the culture that we live in and it's the times we live in. I think 50, 60 years ago, you didn't see that so much. There was a much higher degree of trust, a much higher degree of honoring authority. And now it's more hip, more chick, more popular to tear down authority, no matter what that authority is. And... Uh, we may disdain authority, but I'm telling you, God honors authority. And uh, I don't want to be on God's bad side of doing that. So what do I do for a president, whether I elected them or not? I pray for them. Because the scripture tells me to pray for those in authority. What I do for a pastor that I've sat under that maybe I didn't respect or maybe I just didn't, I pray for them. I don't talk about them, I pray for them. I pray for their family. I pray for grace. I pray for blessing over their life. What do I do? Why do I pray for military? Because I pray blessing because they're in authority. They've been given and conferred authority. What do I do with, with uh, our first responders, EMTs? I pray for them. Pray for them. Sorry. I have a hair in my mouth. So I pray. I pray. Why? Because I want to honor authority that God has put into our life. Amen? So we want to do that. So everyone was filled with awe, and all this was happening by the apostles at that point because they had received that authority. Look at Acts 3.16. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is, the, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now... Remember, context is king, story behind the story. So that was when Peter and John had gone, so they were going up through the beautiful gate to go to the temple. 
And when they went there, there was a man begging alms. And as he did, uh, he was expecting money. And Peter says to him, he says, silver and gold I don't have. You know, I love that. If we humanize the story, which we need to do because we tend to put it on a flannel graph or in a, in a Hollywood movie. But these are real people going into the temple who had just been conferred this amazing authority and they were enjoying the first fruits of becoming the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church was birthed. There was so much going on, I can't even imagine their mindset as they were going into the temple, now seeing the temple in a very different way than they did before. And they're excited, and there's joy, and there's life on them, and this man has no clue that who he's begging alms from actually carries the authority of Jesus Christ, the mantle, the conferred authority. And when he asks for it, they stop. And I love their honesty. They didn't have money. They didn't have anything to give except the thing that was the most important. They said, we don't have silver or gold, but what we have, we give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, and he grabbed his wrist and he stood him to his feet. And the Bible says his ankles immediately were healed. Is that not awesome? <laughs> That's why all was happening. Because this was becoming, these, these things were happening. And they were giving witness to the word that was going forth. And what was that word? The message of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The message of Jesus was going out. And God was confirming the message of Jesus with signs and wonders. And I like to say it, signs that make you wonder. Because really that brings clarity to what they're for. Okay? So we'll keep talking through that. But that's what happened here. So again, knowing the story by faith, in the name of Jesus... This man whom you see and know was made strong. Now, here's the deal. It wasn't the man who had faith in the name of Jesus. Get this. A lot of times, and, and we've, we've aberrated a lot of things, and we've said, well, you know, you didn't have enough faith to get healed. Oh, that is so not biblical. There's so many people in the Bible that were healed and had no faith, no understanding, because the point of them getting healed wasn't for their life to be happy and joyful. It was a witness to the power of God so that it opened people's eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ. What happens is we get that off and out of order, and we think that miracles are so that we can have a great worship service, and we can have a big, you know, big show down here. That is not this. This is signs that confirm the preaching of the word, and they show the authority of God on that word. These signs shall follow them that believe. We don't follow the signs, then believe. So as these signs happen, they happen behind us, not in front of us. As they happen, others see those signs, their eyes are opened to the possibility that there's more going on around them than they first thought. That's what signs are for. They point, remember, a sign points to a greater reality. But we get caught up in the sign. But how weird is that? So I live now about, I don't know, 16 miles out of town. And when I'm driving in, I see all kinds of signs. All kinds of signs. Some that tell me how far Fredericksburg is. Some that tell me where the city limits are when I drive into town. And wouldn't it be crazy if I stopped at a sign that said 12 miles, Fredericksburg, 12 miles, and I stopped at that sign, and I hugged that sign, got out of my truck, and I said, I finally made it to Fredericksburg. This is amazing. Look at this sign. Is this sign? This is Fredericksburg. I'm 12 miles from Fredericksburg. How absurd would it be for me to get excited about the sign? <laughs> 
when the sign is only there to point to a greater reality, and the greater reality is Fredericksburg. You've got 12 miles to go. What happens with signs and wonders is we get enamored with the signs. We get enamored with who we think the sign giver is, who it comes through. And we miss the whole point of the sign. The sign's to point to the greater reality. What is the greater reality? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus changes lives. Jesus is our Savior. That's what we get enamored with. The sign only points that way. Fredericksburg, 12 miles. Jesus, three steps. You're almost there. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop until you embrace the greater reality. Don't get enamored by the sign. Get enamored with the, what the sign points to. Does that make sense? Does that help that a little bit for you? Put it in perspective. I've been in churches. Maybe some of you have. I've been in meetings. I've been in conferences where, where it was a lot about the signs. And it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It's neat. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't point me to Jesus, then I'm just, this is recreation. Christian recreation. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for the sign giver, not the sign. Does that make sense? So I want you to know, as we continue down this track, that's what we're pointing people to. That's what we're pointing people that we're discipling to. Even as you take somebody through the purple book, have that. You should write that metaphor down. Write that. A sign points to a greater reality. Don't get enamored by the sign. Don't get caught up in the sign. Get caught up in who the sign points to. But here's the deal. Don't deny the signs either. Don't fall off on the other side of the trail. Get into the other bar ditch where it's like, oh no, that doesn't happen anymore. That's too scary. I don't understand it. And if I can't wrap my mind around it, that must not be true. Well, are you the one who decides what's true and not? Steve. The scripture tells us that if we are preaching the gospel, signs and wonders will follow. Do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. That's right. And you know, you're not looking for them. They are happening behind you. They just happen because you're going. And as you bring the good news, remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus. As that happens, then things happen behind us. We had an interesting thing happen. We had a, we're having a lot of meetings right now because we're making the transition. We're having lots of meetings with home office and they're transferring things over to us. We've got to have all these meetings to do all this. A lot of paperwork, a lot of stuff, documents. And, and uh, by the way, we all got fired this week. Our whole staff got terminated. I asked our HR, would you quit saying terminated? I feel like I'm being exterminated by, you know, an exterminator or something. And uh, so we all got, and, and now we're going to be rehired by Bridge Church. It's just a part of the formality of trans, of tra we've been laughing about it. And uh, so we're going to be officially un unemployed for about a day. So it's be like, oh my gosh, we don't have jobs anymore. So it's kind of fun. We're having fun with it. But the lady that came over to do it, she's been in corporate America. Uh, she's from a corporate background. And so she comes over to do all this. She's very official. She's very, got all of her stacks of paperwork and gave us the, the newest laws on pastors, churches, and administration and laws. And it's about, literally, it's three and a half inches thick. Back 20 years ago, it was about an inch thick. It's just changed so much. There's so much more. Um, don't think the state and the government doesn't have a lot of their fingers in what we're doing these days. Is it more than 619 laws? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It's way more than that. I actually took a picture of the book. I was going to post it on social media as a joke going, this is for real. So, so as we're meeting with her, she kept looking like this, like, she would turn and talk, and I, I finally said, Renee, are you okay? She goes, my neck is stiff. I think I slept wrong, and, and she said, I can't even move my neck. I'm in a lot of pain. I said, well, good. You're in the right place. <laughs> so our staff, who I'm telling you guys, we are so blessed with the team that we have. We are so blessed. All of us get up, some of us get up out of our seats to go, we're sitting around a table, and our ladies get up and they lay hands on her. And we pray a simple prayer of faith and say, Lord, heal her. Lord, this is, I even said, Lord, I think this is illegal. This shouldn't be, this is wrong. She's got a lot to do, and this is hampering her job and her joy. And, and we just prayed a prayer, not heavy, doing get rowdy or anything. And after we got through, I said, look, I'm not going to ask you to stand on your head or anything or do a you know, handspring or anything, but how do you feel? And she goes, I mean, she was surprised, legitimately surprised. She goes, I feel better. I've, she, I couldn't turn my head this way. She said, I have range of motion. I said, then what do we say? We say, glory to God. Yay, God. Yay, God. Well, now what was that? It was a simple thing. But should we not as the body of Christ pray for people and expect God to show up. I even said when she said, I feel better. I feel related. I said, well, duh. We prayed. We believed. And how simple is that? We turn this stuff into a fiasco or an event. This should be the normal Christian life. What I love about our small group, we're calling it a connect group. Our connect group, we started meeting again. And I love our connect group. Our, our life group, we never get anything done, but we get a lot done. We talk and we share what's going on in our lives and a lot of prayer requests. And, and last night when we met, we just stopped and prayed four or five times. We just, oh, you know, somebody would bring up a relative or a friend that's hurting. We go, well, let's just pray right now. Why wait? And our, our whole life group consisted of just praying for each other and praying over situations and circumstances because isn't that what we should be doing? Encouraging each other and praying for each other? Or should we be mumbling and grumbling? That would be more fun, wouldn't it? Or gossiping. Let's just bring gossip into it. I want to be a part of a life group, not a death group. Amen? And so life, life was happening. It was so amazing. What were we doing? We were praying and believing that God wants to do something amazing in these people's lives. It was beautiful, beautiful. I, I happen to believe we have the best life group. I'm just saying. I, I just I have some of our members here. I would, we just love it. So here we go. Let's keep moving. I'm sorry. I just get really bogged down because I love this. Look at number two. Why did the people in Samaria play co play, pay close attention to Philip? Remember Philip the evangelist, he's called, because he was spreading the gospel, taking the good, good, good news and sharing it. So he goes to Samaria, and do you remember what Jesus said in Acts 1-8? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, and what? Samaria. Samaria. What is Samaria? It was those Gentiles. So guess where Philip ends up? He's in Samaria. And look what happens. Acts 8, 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, look at the result. They all paid close attention to what he said. There it is. That's it in a sentence. This is the purpose and the point of signs and wonders and miracles. It's to open the eyes of those who do not believe so that they will now pay close attention 
to the gospel, to what is said, to what is preached. I don't know if you ever knew about John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. Uh, lived in California in the early days. Uh, they produced a lot of amazing worship music during the 90s, especially in the early 2000s. But it was a, he wrote a book called Power Evangelism. And in that book, he took this principle and said that the normal Christian life should be that as we're going out to share the gospel, signs and wonders should be happening. This should just be normal. This should be uh, ground zero. This should be Christianity 101, but what we've done is we've turned it into Christianity 2.9. You know, it's, you got to graduate. There's this esoteric knowledge that only a few know, but that's not the case at all. It should be the normal Christian life because it was with these guys. You do know these, these apostles, before they were apostles, were disciples, and before that they were fishermen and tax collectors and just very average, ordinary people. In fact, they were a mess for a good long time, right? And they walked with Jesus for three years, and even at a certain point, he just said, how long must I bear with you? Can you imagine Jesus saying that? He was just frustrated, like, are you kidding me? You still don't get it. He would even say, you still don't understand. How long have you been with me and you don't hear what I'm saying? I mean, he was just like, oi. Oy vey. He was frustrated. And so they walked with him. But now, now they're carrying the mantle of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the exousia, the authority. And now they become these amazing individuals when we saw them back not too long ago scattering like cockroaches at the base of the cross, right? Look what happens when the Spirit of God comes on their life and now they're literally, there's a transformation that happens. So now you've got young Philip out here sharing the gospel. And when they heard him, remember, these were Gentiles. This was a Gentile land. The gospel's finally going out into the Gentile arenas and areas. Paul? For me, it's easier when I read this, the part where it says, saw the miraculous signs he did. If I read it, as miraculous signs done through him. Yes. It makes more sense from a Christian perspective. The earlier one, Acts 2.43, the, the miraculous signs they did Oh, that were done through them. And that goes right back to Jesus living his life both in us and through us, which we learned that primary participle is, is very important. He doesn't just live in us, he lives through us. And that's what's so beautiful about the Christian life is that the pressure is not on our shoulders. The only pressure is to know him, to walk with him, and then allow him. There's a surrendering that happens where I say, Lord, I'm yielded to you. The three W's, whatever, whenever, wherever. What do you want to do? Where do you want to do it? And when do you want to do it? I'm available. Here am I, send me. As that happens, there's a release. And it's not about you. Uh, it's not about the anointed man of God. By the way, book of, uh, 1 John tells us that we all have an anointing from the Holy One. All of us. All of us are anointed. Did you know that? And you know what? I remind myself of that often when I, before I preach, before I minister, before I meet with somebody. I say, Lord, you've given me an anointing. I don't even have to ask for it because you've already given me, past tense. I have an anointing from the Holy One. And the scripture says, and you know all things. You, you have knowledge of, experiential nosco of all things. Isn't that beautiful? 
So we, we're already that. We're already empowered. We're already anointed. So that when we step out and we're in a conversation in aisle six of HEB, wherever that is now, that wherever, whatever we, wherever we are, I'm going to continue to make fun of that because I need a GPS now to get around that store. So, by the way, there was a lady handing out maps. This is a funny story. Handing out maps to the men. She was walking around, and I, I said, ma'am, I hate to tell you this, no men will take or read that map. You know that to be true, don't you? I said, we'll just keep wandering around, thinking we're going to find it. I'm just telling you, it's a guy thing. But this, this power, this anointing, this grace that's on our life and in our life and through our life. And again, that takes that pressure off of us so that we can smile, we can laugh, we can be free, and we can love people towards Christ, right? Why? Because he's living his life through us. Isn't that beautiful? Look at the next one. Signs and wonders were not just for apostles. Philip was a faithful servant in the church whom God used to proclaim the gospel with miraculous power. So look at there. Just a regular guy who had a heart for God and God put his life on him and he walked in miraculous power. Number three, what were Paul and Barnabas doing when the lame man from Lystra was healed? That's Acts chapter 14. So let's see what was happening. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. All right? So they're on a missionary journey and there is a plot. But they found out about it. Who? The, the, the missionary team. They found out about it and fled to the, to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding county where they continued to preach the good news. So they were ministering. They were preaching. And this situation happens and they go to another place, but they do not stop preaching. They do not stop sharing the gospel. In light of opposition and resistance, by the way, if you are doing the kingdom, there will be opposition and resistance. I talked about your God dream on Sunday, putting the go in your God dream. There will be opposition and resistance. Just get ready for it. If you step out into it, there will be opposition and resistance. And the question is, will you continue with the pedal to the metal even in the face of opposition? A lot of times we misread opposition and resistance as, oh, I must not be in God's will. No, no, no. Actually, I've learned that if there is opposition and resistance, I'm probably in the smack dab in the center of God's will. And I'm to a point in my life, if there's not, I'm nervous. I'm like, wait, maybe I, maybe I missed a turn. Maybe when he said go left, I went right. Something, I, I don't... I don't rest well when, when it's quiet. And by the way, you do know it's not the culture that gives us resistance, right? That's not who the enemy uses. The culture is ambivalent toward us. We've been so marginalized culturally. But it's other Christians. It's brothers and sisters. In fact, all the, most all the letters that Paul wrote to the churches... We're dealing with internal squabbles, fighting, and division. That church in Corinth, you want to go back to the first century and do it like they did? Have you read the book of Corinthians? It was a train wreck. It was off the rails. I don't want to go back to Corinth. I want to learn from what happened there so we don't repeat those mistakes. Amen? And we learn and we grow and we walk in maturity. And so look what was happening. They continued 
in spite of resistance. But they did move down the road. They went on. So let's keep going. Acts 14, 8 through 10. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. So they give us the framework. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. Now before, the guy at the beautiful gate didn't have any faith. He just wanted money. And we said, we got something better than that. You're going to get legs. Now in this case, this guy had faith. There was, somehow, Paul recognized something there. He discerned that. And look what happens. He had faith to be healed, verse 10, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. You know what I love about the miracles and signs and wonders in the Scripture? Is there's no two alike. Have you ever noticed that? There's no formula here. Because you know what we would do with that if there was? <laughs> we'd write books on it. We'd start churches on it. We would, <laughs> we would sell it. We would peddle it. We would, we would try to commercialize it. We would try to make it into a formula. Three steps to healing. Three steps to reconciliation. Five steps to prosperity. Oh, wait. Those books have been written, haven't they? No, I, we would just take these things and try to turn them into something for our own good. When in fact, God gives these gifts and gives these amazing things for the good of people that need to come into the kingdom. God's heart for the lost. Do any of y'all, let me ask a question. Just a little quick survey. Do any of you remember what it was like before you were saved, before you were born again? Wow. My life was off the rails. And I am so glad that God came into my life. He loved me so much, he pursued me. And for years, I was like, no thank you, no thank you. And finally, I didn't give up to the hound of heaven like he ran me down and overtook me. I finally realized that what I was doing wasn't working. How's that working for you? It wasn't. And so my surrendering my life to him was because I realized I couldn't do it. I just realized I didn't have it, have it in me. And I was watching people around me spin out and burn out. Some died. I had three friends that died in high school. I was watching stuff happen. I was like, whoa, this is getting real. It's not about the next kegger. It's not about the next concert to go to. All of a sudden, it was like reality was in my face. And I have God to answer to. And I'm so thankful that he pursued me. He loved me. Here's the thing. He has never let me forget what it was like to go to sleep at night wondering that if I died, if I would go to heaven. I remember those nights. By the way, it was on a waterbed. <laughs> Not the fancy ones. I'm talking about old school waterbeds. It was just a big bladder. You know what I'm talking about? If you move, you're going to move for five minutes on that thing. Seasick at night. That was the old school waterbed. And I remember many a night going to bed, going to sleep on that waterbed fearful that if I died, I would go to hell. It wasn't working for me. And so God reached into my life and changed everything. I am so thankful. I remember. I will never forget. And that is part of what drives me through the pain. It drives me through disappointment. It drives me through opposition. It drives me through resistance. It drives me through 
fear. It drives me through all of those things because I remember what it was like to not know Jesus. And I don't want people to have to live another night like that and have another sleepless night wondering when there's so much life. Are you driven that way? Do you wonder? I have a group of men that I meet with on Wednesdays, one hour to pray with. And what I love about this group of men, in fact, Steve's been, been with us several times. I'm still going, still with them. And I love the fact that these men weep over the lost in our community. We weep together. We cry for the lost. We hurt. And, and it, as it should be. As it should be. And it's not some burden that we have to bear. It's, it's a joy that we get to experience. I don't see it as a burden. I see it as a gift, as a calling. If you ever wonder why Jimmy Pruitt's so passionate, it's because I remember what it was like to not know Jesus. I never forgot. And I don't think he'll ever let me forget. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget what it was like. I don't want to forget what that was like. The fear, the wondering, the lack of peace, the lack of direction and purpose in life. And so, if you ever wonder what makes this boy tick, that's it. I remember. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, amen, of what it was like in case we forget and we become entitled as believers. We need to remember what it was like and live a grateful life because he's been so good, amen? Listen to this. Our part is to boldly preach God's salvation and pray for him to act as we do this, God will work powerful miracles in people's lives. In other words, we do the preaching, He does the healing. Don't you love that? There's no pressure on you. The pressure's on the promises. So when we prayed for Renee yesterday, I just there was no pressure. What was the worst that could happen? Nothing. <laughs> That's the worst. Well, you don't want to get people's hopes up. Yeah, I do. I kind of live for that. I do want people to have a joyful and confident expectation of a desired good. So yeah, I do want to get people's hopes up. I do want to get people to expect God to show up. Don't you love children and how they just believe? You can get a child to pray for you. I, I, when we were in California, we had a very powerful children's ministry and, and the, the children's pastor there, he was just really gifted to it. I've never seen anything like it. And he mobilized children. And they did a children's conference. And I helped up in the booth. I was on staff at the church. I was a youth pastor. Played guitar. Did a lot of production stuff. So I loved hanging out in the booth during conferences and stuff. And I just, I had a great seat. And I watched night after night as they activated these children to pray. Because their faith is so pure. They're not jaded. They're not disappointed. They just believe God. And we watched people get healed because children were praying for them. So on the last night we were there, I had one of the worst headaches I could remember. It was just almost debilitating. I just, nothing would touch it. I'd taken, you know, Tylenol, Cetaphenamine, whatever. And it was just, nothing. I was miserable through the whole thing. At the end of it, I got this bright idea. Why don't I go have the children pray for me? So I walked down to the front. When they did the thing at the end, they brought all the children up there. And there were all these adults coming up to the front. And because the children were so tiny, right? So we got down on our knees. 
And these children came around us. If you've never had children lay their hands on you to pray, oh my gosh, there's the, just the feeling of these little tiny hands and knowing the big faith that was there that they just believed. I didn't have some doubting dude praying for me, some guy in unbelief. I had these children that believed God was amazing and could do it. And so here I was. Up to that point, I had never experienced a healing. I'd been prayed for, nothing. I got nothing. I mean, I was one of those guys that seemed like everybody else was getting healed and something. And I'd walk away going, well, I guess it wasn't my turn. Anybody ever feel that way? I, I, I did I, for years. And still to this day, not often. I don't feel, I'm not a feeler. Walk by faith and not by sight. And I'm okay with that. So I knelt down, those little kids came around me and they laid hands on me. And I was like feeling something like, well, the heat or what? I don't know what was going on. Something's happening. And they just prayed these pure, simple, childlike prayers. And as they pray, I started weeping because it was so sweet. It was so precious. I almost forgot what I was doing. I was listening to them. And when they got through, I was, I was like, oh, thank you so much. You are so cute. Oh, my gosh. I got to take you all home. And as I'm talking, I realized my headache was gone. I mean, completely gone. It was the first time I'd ever experienced a, a true healing. Now, I've been prayed over a million times. I go, move your shoulder around. I'm like, still hurts. I mean, I, that's just me. Sorry. And I don't fake it for anybody. I'm like, sorry, it just hurts. It didn't take. I don't know what. Maybe I don't have enough faith. I don't know. I think I do. Mustard seed anyway. But that was the first time I'd ever experienced a true, real deal healing. And it was at the hands of children. Because they believed. Isn't that amazing? We do the preaching. He does the healing. Amen? Miss Charlene. May I tell you about something that happened to me? I'll be quick. Yes, ma'am. Okay. When I had my accident... Wait a minute. Let me do this. This is for everybody. Yeah, you were involved in a car accident a little over a week ago, right? Yes, sir. Something made me look to the right. And I know it was my Heavenly Father. When I looked to the right, I saw the grill of the pickup. And it said GMC had a very heavy grill on it. I had the most beautiful peace mm. come over me. It was my father telling me, don't worry, I got it. Wow. I'm with you. Wow. He moved that truck from my door to the front wheels. The cab of my car was not damaged. Don't ever tell me about my papa. Come on, come on. He still moves, doesn't he? The God who acted still acts. Amen. Yes, please do clap. Amen. Derek, you had something back there, brother. Go ahead, loud and proud. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm saying this for, Verse nine. yeah, okay.
Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things. Wow. For we, for what man knoweth the things of a man, except the Spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the world, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which is the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Then this is what I like. But the natural man receiveth not the things of God, right. for they are foolishness unto him. Yeah. Neither can they know them, but they are spiritually discerned. Mm -hmm. And then it says in 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Wow. That's a whole nother level of life right there, of living. But again, realizing there's no condemnation for me, but I have a, an obligation and an empowerment to discern what's going on. And just remember, when we talk in terms of discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment isn't that you're wise. That's a different gift. That's the word of wisdom. But in that gift list, it's actually the discerning of spirits. So when somebody says, I have the gift of discerning, I'm saying, oh, then what do you see behind the veil? What do you see behind the obvious? Because that's what that is. It means you actually, if you're looking at somebody and they're just being rude, crude, and ungodly to you, and yet they're a follower of Jesus, instead of you seeing them, the, the gift of discerning of spirits sees behind them. You realize there is something driving them that is malevolent in nature and supernatural. There's, there's something behind that. There's a spirit. The discerning of spirits is able to recognize what spirit that is. Spirit of division, spirit of contention, spirit of gossip, Jezebel. It could be a lot of things. But there's something driving that person. What that helps you do and what that gift helps you do is instead of being angry at that individual, you're angry at what you should really be angry at, that there's an enemy that has manipulated that poor person. Now, you, instead of being angry at them, you have compassion. Instead of having contempt, you have compassion for them. It changes the way you see it. That's what the gift of discerning of spirits does. Steve? It also gives the church alert to false teachers. Yes, absolutely. Because you know the spirit behind it. What is behind it? What is driving that? We might say the motive or the mentality or whatever, but it is. There is a spirit behind it that is actually trying to create disruption or get us off the rails, if that makes sense. Yeah, good word, good work. Let's keep moving. We've got a lot to cover quickly. What did James instruct, this is number four, what did James instruct the church to do for those who were sick? So again, we're talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. And there's some simple instructions. Look here, James 5, 14. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of Jesus. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? It's actually very simple and very clear, but you would be surprised at how many people do not ask. They'll suffer in silence and not know that there is actually very clear direction here. I injured my back lifting weights years ago. I'd blown a disc. I was in horrible pain. The only place I could find comfort or some level of relief was sitting on our stairwell in our house. 
So I was grounded to the stairs for about two weeks. Sciatic nerve, I mean, the whole thing, it was terrible. And it dawned on me about two days into this horrific pain that I should call the elders of the church. So I called the elders. I said, please come to my house, bring some oil, or I've got some here, and I want you to slather me with oil. I don't care how much it takes. I need prayer. I need help. Those guys came over. They prayed the prayer of faith, and it still didn't, I didn't get a lot of relief in that moment, but over the next few days, incrementally, it began to take. And I began to go, wait, wait a minute, okay, I can... The, the sciatic has stopped hurting. It's not wrapping around the front of my knee anymore, or my thigh. It was from the back all the way around and down, and it was just excruciating. And within a few days, I was back at the office. I was the pastor of the church and back at preaching again. Now, I'm not saying I was jumping up and down and doing handsprings, but I wasn't relegated to the stairs anymore. Now, their faith, my faith, all we did was say, this is what the Bible says, so why don't we try this? What a novel idea, right? Why don't we do what the Bible says? And instead of thinking it weird, isn't it interesting that when we step out into what the Bible says, it's suddenly weird and suspect. But when we read it in the Bible, we think it's amazing. Look what God did through these disciples. Look what God did through these apostles. Look what God did through these ordinary individuals. But if one of us steps out and tries to do the same thing, we're suspect. We're weirdos. Stay away from them. They're scary. It's that church down the street. When we try to be biblical, do not be surprised at who mocks you. It won't be the world. In fact, the world right now is so hungry for spirituality, so hungry for, for the supernatural, that there's shows about it, there's movies about it. The world's hungry for it, and they will not be suspect. I have some friends that every year they get together a group of people, and they go to Burning Man. Do you know what Burning Man is? Anyone know what Burning Man is? It is a pagan, bizarre meeting in the desert. They build this massive structure. It's almost like an idol. It's almost like a golden calf kind of thing. And it's, it's about 10 days of weirdness. You should look it up. It's bizarre. And it's kind of a anything goes and no holds barred. It's a big party. It's a big... It's the weirdest thing, Steve. It's statues in the shape of a man in his home. It's based on the druids who burned human beings alive inside the American cages as part of their sacrifice. So that's the kind of spirit that's behind So I have a group of Christian friends from Amarillo, Texas that every year go to Burning Man. They set up a tent and they ask the Lord to give them wisdom and how to minister to people. And they put up a sign that says, Dream Interpretation. And I'm telling you, their tent is packed with people. And they simply pray and say, Lord, give us something for these individuals. And these people come and sit at a table. And they pray in the name of Jesus. And the Lord gives them prophetic words for them. And people are shocked and amazed that they read their mail sitting there at the middle of the desert at Burning Man. And these Christians show up, and they're bringing Jesus into the middle of that thing. They go every year. I've been doing it for years. And I get reports, and I follow them. And, and uh, they used to live in Abilene. Now they're in, in Amarillo. And every year, I always see when they're ramping up to go to Burning Man, because they're like all crazy looking and stuff. But they're doing something that is so out of the box. But it is so acts. It's Paul. It's Paul at the... At the, at the, at the 
Areopagus, where the philosophers were and where they were speaking. It's Paul stepping into that and saying, you know this, un this unknown God, this, this marker, you know, this is an idol to the unknown God? I actually know who that is. That's Paul making a very bold claim in the middle of this, and they're all going, hmm, tell us about your unknown God. And he draws a crowd and he preaches the gospel. But if we were to do that today, somebody would think you're crazy. But we look at Paul and think he's amazing. You see the problem here? We have multiple standards, not just double standards of what, what appropriate behavior is for a Christian. I'll take somebody who goes outside of the box and does something crazy for God over a gossip or a slanderer any day. I'll take that. Go try something. Get, hang it out there so far that if God doesn't show up, you fail miserably. God loves that kind of stuff. Uh, there's a generation sitting in this room over here right now getting trained up. And I'm telling you, we have got to clear a path for them. Do you agree with me? We have to clear a path for them. We cannot be the ones who stand before God and he goes, I'm sorry, but you basically tied a millstone around their neck. I mean, you basically kept them from realizing the gifts and the potential that we put in them. Can you imagine what this generation would do? Generation Z. Not millennials, this, that's, we're into another generation now, Generation Z, who has the capacity for righteousness, the capacity, capacity for mission and justice and creativity that is unlike any generation that's come around in a long time. Can you imagine if we will turn them loose with Jesus and the Holy Spirit? They will be world changers, culture shapers, shifters. They will make a difference. They will be catalysts. Amen? Do you believe that? I'm telling you, they're right there next door. It's happening under our nose. And instead of us getting in the way, how about we create a path for them, amen, to bring the gospel to the next generation. Wow. So as any of you sick, you should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Just do that. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Ooh, what is that? That's a lot of wholeness going on. That means God has given us steps to doing it, to getting it done. Spirit, soul, and body. Exactly. Wholeness. Integration. I've always wondered about this verse that if somebody doesn't ask for it, should we offer it? See what I'm saying? It says if you're sick... You should call the elders of the church. If the elders of the church know somebody's sick, should we go pray for them or should we wait for them to initiate in faith? Draw near to God, he will what? But if you don't draw near to God, what? I don't know. I, the jury's out on that for me. I'm just throwing food for thought. I have often believed that the reason why some people do not get well is because they have not followed the book. It tells us what to do. I'm just throwing that out there, not as a law, but as a thought. Steve? Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. It's just food for thought. Just a thought. Derek, quickly, we gotta quit. We gotta land the plane. I wanna iterate on when it said fourteen, it says, Is the, is anyone of you sick? He should 
That's what I'm saying, yeah. There was a young lady recently who I saw in Walmart, her and her boyfriend was in there, and they were going, I think that's Jimmy, I think, I was in my workout gear, so they weren't sure, and they were like, I think that's Jimmy, so they said, hey, Pastor Jimmy, I said, hey, how's it going, good to see you, I recognize them, but I didn't know them, and a real young couple, and, uh, and I talked to him, and he's not a follower of Jesus, but he's close to the kingdom, and he loves our church, he's excited. He grew up in a Catholic background and then nothing, and now he's just like, oh my gosh. He said that a few weeks ago, he went out in his pickup after church and cried for two hours in his truck, never left the parking lot. He just wanted to be here. So God is doing something. He's very near the kingdom. So they were just talking to me, and, and she reaches out to me through Facebook and says, uh, would you come pray for our home because some spooky things are happening in our house? Whenever I hear that kind of stuff, I say, oh, the Lord is, this is called an invitation to bring the gospel, the good news, into a place. Uh, I, I don't worry about the spooky stuff. I'm, I'm looking at the invitation. So she reached out and asked. So Russ and I jumped in the car one day, went over to their place, went into their little home, and I said, I never assumed something, but I, you said there's some spooky stuff. She told me about a dream that terrified her. She's a little baby. And... And I said, well, before we even talk about that stuff, I don't want to assume anything. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you know in your heart that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior? And she said, oh, yes. But I haven't walked with him for a long time. I said, oh, that's why we're here. This is that. We were there to bring good news. And so Russ and I just took a few moments to pray for her. And it was very sweet and led her back home, so to speak. She re-embraced her faith and re-embraced Jesus. And her husband wasn't there. He had to work, so it was just us. So she wrote me that night and said, My husband cannot wait to meet with you. So after this week, this next week, we're going to go back over there on the evening and meet with her husband. He's this close to the kingdom. And you know what's going to happen? I already know what's going to happen. But you know what they did? They initiated the movement. They made the call. They issued the invitation. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. He will meet you there. He's just looking for one inch. He's looking for one step. He's just looking for somebody to lean toward him. He's looking for somebody with a mustard seed of faith. Oh, that's all it takes. And isn't it beautiful to know that when we step in there, we were invited in there. And the Lord is already there doing a work. Isn't that beautiful? To me, that's a sign. That's a wonder. That's a miracle. It's not just a leg growing longer or a hip getting fixed or a spine getting realigned or an arm. We get caught up in all that. We miss the real miracles, which is a changed life. Someone returning to Christ after years of being away. Or maybe a young man being raised in a, in a church but not knowing Jesus, getting to come to faith. Isn't that the real miracle, folks? Isn't that the real deal? Those are the signs that make me wonder. The others, awesome too, by the way. Amazing. And I'm thankful. And so let's land the plane on this. In fact, I'm going to go to the end here. Russ. Very last slide. 
before the harvest. In Hebrews 11.6, we're talking about faith here, 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, that's a pretty, pretty direct statement, right? Pretty direct. The writer of Hebrews, which we're not sure who it was, but the writer of Hebrews has been very direct here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly, I love another translation, says diligently seek Him. And so the thing about it is, is we want to come to Him in faith. We want to lead people to Him in faith. We want to walk in faith and by faith. Because faith is what pleases Him. And I mentioned earlier, I don't, I'm not a feeler like some people. I don't feel a lot of, I don't get heebie-jeebies and goosebumps every once in a while. But it's rare. And you know what, I'm so okay with that. Because I get the privilege of walking by faith and not by sight. And my faith is not diminished because I'm not a feeler. Because I'm not an experiencer. In fact, I think my faith is pretty strong because I get to walk by faith without seeing. But I know and my knower what I know. And I can't unknow what I know. Amen? Can we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the privilege of your word. The privilege of learning and growing. And Father, we want to be of those who are not afraid of signs that create wonderment so that people's eyes are opened to the gospel. Would you give us grace to be people that are on mission? On mission. That we are missional minded. We are mission specific. That we know our place in this world and we know our identity in Christ. Who we are and whose we are. So that we can take the good news, the gospel, Christ in us and through us, the hope of glory, into everywhere we work, everywhere we live, and everywhere we play. We would take Jesus and we would do it on purpose and with purpose. That we would live intentional lives. So Father, I just, I call that out in all of us, including myself. Hashtag preaching to myself. I call it out in all of us that we would walk in our destiny. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. And uh, we'll land the plane next week with chapter 12. And then and that'll be our last study for two weeks. We'll take a little break.